Good morning to each one and greetings in Jesus' name. Every once in a while, as someone is speaking or sharing or something like that, um, I try to jot down little, little notes of a possible sermon title or topic. And so, if you were to look through my Bible, you would find a whole lot of notes here and there and everywhere, but you would find one specific little piece of paper that says, Sermon Title. And I have numerous written down. And I do appreciate those suggestions because it helps me to know what you're thinking, what uh, you may need, or what you, may th- what you think maybe our congregation or someone needs. And so a while back I jotted down a little note, and I don't know when this was. Are you in touch? And in parentheses, with God and your brothers and sisters. And again, I don't know when this was written, but it's, it's been a long, long time. So I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Genesis. And I'm going to be going through a number of verses fairly quickly. And then ending up in the New Testament, as often I try to do sharing from the, from the Old Testament. But I want you to think about this. You have acquaintances, and I know that you have friends and other acquaintances, and some people you feel comfortable with. You just are, you just, it's like a kindred spirit. It is something that it's hard to explain. And then there are other people that you don't quite have that connection with. And I don't know how to explain that either. And sometimes with that kindred spirit, even quiet is comfortable. As we look at the account here in Genesis chapter 1, I want us to think about this in light of God speaking. And we know that when God said these things, Boom, it happened. And so, I am in somewhat a believer in the Big Bang Theory. God said it, bang, it happened. I believe that. But it says in chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we know that, we believe that. That is the basis of, our, of the foundation of our faith in that In the beginning, God, the Father, created. And it goes on to say numerous things in in these verses. And I'm not going to read all of these specifically, but I want to just highlight some of these. In Genesis 1-3 it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. He spoke. Bang. It happened. He, called, he said he saw it and it was good. And he called that 
light day, and darkness he called night. And then on down it says, let the, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters and the seas and the dry lands. And that's not a direct reading. But God said it and it happened. Then he said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. He said, let the earth bring forth grass, herb, and tree. He said, let there be lights in the firmament above the heaven to divide the day from the night, the sun, moon, and stars. He said, let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures that have life, fowl and fish and animals of the sea. And again, I'm not reading these verbatim, but I'm just sharing an overview. And then it says, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and the beast of the earth after its kind. And it was so. And in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So, God said, but who was he speaking to? Was he just speaking out into space? Was he speaking to the light? Was he speaking to the firmament? To the waters? To the herb, grass, and tree? Was he speaking to the animals? Was he speaking to the birds? the fish, the animals of the sea? Was He speaking to all the creeping things and the beasts of the earth? And then when He said, let us make man in our image, who was God speaking to? What do you think? Who was God speaking to? Any thoughts? He was speaking to Jesus? The Holy Ghost? He was speaking to the Holy Ghost? Okay. Okay. Speaking to us? Someone else? I'm sorry. Same thing. I recognize God's Word, Him speaking to us today. But I believe that God was speaking to Jesus, to the, Holy, to the Holy Spirit, that Spirit that moved upon the waters. I believe that there was communion there. I believe that it was that comfortable kindred spirit, if I could say that. God, three in one. The Holy Trinity. This triune God, which in three persons... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's hard to understand that you can put all those together as one. And yet it's quite simple. Because God said it. And we take it by faith. We believe it. They're individual bodies. Individual 
persons of the Godhead doing different jobs, but doing them as if one mind, a kindred spirit, if we want to call it that. I, that's, that's a huge understatement. But with a single purpose, a single goal, and in absolute, complete agreement. Right? Absolute, complete agreement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Could it be any other way? Could it be that God the Father and Jesus the Son said, uh, I'm not sure about this. I don't think so. A single purpose, a single goal, an absolute complete agreement between those three persons. In Genesis 1.31 it says, And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Everything God had done, I believe Jesus and that Holy Spirit were there communing and working together to make it happen. And how all that happened, wow. It is far and above my comprehension, and yet I see it written here, and I believe it as truth. Skipping over to chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We think of this as the crown of creation. We, being a created being, and God giving us a living soul, the breath of life. And when I see and think about this human being molded out of the dirt and God breathing that breath of life into that being, not only do I believe that Adam went <gasps> and opened his eyes, but I believe Adam was an eternal being. Think about it. His soul was eternal. The breath of life becoming a living soul. Each one of us are right there as living souls. We have the breath of life in us, but we also have the breath of the living soul in our being. What will we do with that? But this living soul needed something. And if we look at verse 18, God recognized, I believe, that man needed some extra help. And he needed some communion. He needed that kindred spirit. Verse 18 said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. How does that work? I don't understand it. But God says it. How is the triune God one God? I don't quite understand it, but I believe it. Man was created in the image of God. Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, it says that it's good, not good for man to be alone. Think about this. God, in the beginning, was not alone. At least I don't think He was. Forever being. A single purpose, a single goal, an absolute complete agreement. God was not alone and He knew that man, it would not be good for man to be alone. God knew that man, man needed more. God knew that man needed someone to help him, to aid him, to communicate with, to replenish the earth, and to model properly the God-ordained, God-designed Godhead. Does God want man to fellowship with Him? We know the answer to that. It's a, very, it's, 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 it's a very simple question. The answer is yes. We know that God created man to be in fellowship with Him. But we also know that when Adam and Eve sinned, that fellowship was broken. They died spiritually. And their relationship with God was cut off. It was severed. That kindred spirit, that communion, that comfortable feeling of being with God was no longer there because that sin, that choice of sin severed that relationship and their communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit ended, basically ended. God spoke to them and told them what their punishment would be individually. Now I'm not going to go over that. But then He also clothed them with coats of skin. And in chapter 3, verse 24, it was kind of the final nail in the coffin, if you want to call it that. And I can imagine that Adam, Eve, when they recognized their guilt, when they recognized their severed relationship with God, I'm sure that it weighed heavily upon them. But I don't think it weighed as much upon them as what happened in this verse. In verse 24 of chapter 3, it says, So He, God, drove, man, drove out the man out of that garden, out of that perfect environment. He drove Adam and Eve away. I picture that garden as that Perfect environment. Heaven on earth. And it says, And he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. This word drove here means to drive out from a possession. To divorce, to cast out, to drive away, to expel, to put away, to thrust out. The final nail in the coffin. The final severance. 
And again, I can imagine that up until this point, there was a lot of guilt. And yet, when this happened, it was like, we're doomed. Where would we be apart from Christ? Where would you be? Where would I be apart from Christ? When relationships are broken, we wish for restoration. We wish, we hope to rebuild fellowship. And we personally need to try to make that happen. But it takes work. It takes, it takes work. It takes repentance. It takes forgiveness. But it can only happen through communication. It can only happen through speaking the Word. Speaking the words. God communicated through His Word. He communicated with Adam and Eve personally first. But then to us, God communicated through the law and the prophets that because of this sin, He had a plan for mankind. And this plan for mankind was to not continue in this separation, but for God through a perfect plan of His to redeem mankind to Him. And you know, we are coming upon Christmas. A national, even worldwide, quote, holiday. When we remember that Jesus, or that God sent His only begotten Son in the form of a babe, we read that this morning. In Galatians, it was the timing that God needed. Because it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so this Christmas season, we remember the birth of Jesus. We remember the birth of our Savior. Because this that was the fullness of time when God had initially planned for redemption to begin to take place. We read of the Christmas story. We sing these all familiar songs. But do we really recognize the cost of our redemption? Do we really recognize the cost of God bringing us back in fellowship with such a huge, huge gift to mankind? Do we realize our individual, personal need for faith and forgiveness? And do we recognize our need of communing with God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ through, that Holy, through the Holy Spirit, that triune God, three and one. And finally, do we understand our need of fellowship with one another? The morning of Jesus' resurrection, bringing it up to the New Testament. The morning of Jesus' resurrection, Mary went to the tomb. And it says in another account, Mary and the mother of Mary and Salome. And it says in another account, Mary and Mary went. 
and I'm convinced. I don't know who all went, but one Mary for certain went, and most likely the others went as well. But when they found that empty tomb, her or the three or the two, when they found that empty tomb, they knew where the other disciples were. And Mary ran to them with her news. Mary ran to Peter and John. And maybe their houses were nearby. I doubt it, but maybe they were. But Mary knew where they were. How did she know where they were? Because I think throughout Jesus' discipling, of teaching, I believe that they gathered frequently together. I believe that Jesus taught them frequently. I believe that they ate together. They talked together. They worshiped together. I believe that there was a close communion between Jesus and those men and women, those disciples of His. And Mary knew where some of those men were. And she ran to them with the news. That same evening of Jesus' resurrection, it says the disciples were gathered together again. It says, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the first day of the week being Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. That same evening, these disciples, after the, the ladies had recognized that Jesus had risen, after the disciples went to the tomb, after the news of all of this spread abroad, and I am convinced that basically every one of Jesus' disciples knew about this news or were soon to know about it. And it says, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. This word assembled means to lead together. Something that is collective, especially hospitality, to come together, to lead into, to take in. They were together for a purpose. And I believe that they were together, communing together, communicating. Can you imagine the buzz of the conversation with those disciples and what they had experienced that very morning? I can imagine that it was a lot of excitement and maybe some doubt. And Verse 26 of chapter 20. It says, And after eight days again, his disciples were within. And this time Thomas was with them. And then Thomas with them came, then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said again to them the same thing, peace be unto you. 
Why were those disciples together again? I think that they were continuing to practice what Jesus taught them, to get together, to worship together, to pray together, to commune together, to fellowship together. And it's apparent to me that these disciples were continuing to do that. And it says here that it was eight days difference, but I don't know how much time it was between some of their disciples when they got together, but I would imagine that it was often. But later on, when persecution arose, the disciples were scattered. And we know that the, because of that persecution, many were apprehended and put in prison and killed for the sake of Christ. But as we look at the book of Acts, chapter 12, In chapter 2 it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the, upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only. And we know that through this preaching, many were saved. But down in chapter 12, it says, Now about this time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in the prison, in prison, and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. In verse 5 it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Was that meaning that they were individually praying for him? I think so. But I also think that they were continuing to meet together and pray for him. And we know the story, how miraculously Peter was freed And in verse 11 it says, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And what does it say there? It says they were continuing to do what Jesus had taught them. There where many were gathered together praying. I'm convinced that maybe not everyone was there, but I'm convinced that they were praying. I'm convinced that it says that many were gathered. It doesn't say that all were gathered, but many were gathered together praying. What were they praying for? They were praying for Peter. And I would imagine that that was not the only topic of prayer that night. But there were probably other people and families that had experienced some persecution or death or something like that that they were praying for as well. But these people recognized 
the need of fellowship, prayer, and encouragement of one another. And each one of us, myself included, we need fellowship. We need encouragement. We need one another. Just a personal example. My mom is 80. And we don't want her to get sick. And so we try to be pretty careful. And my brothers have tried to encourage mom to be really careful. To not go out so much. To try to stay at home. But we've noticed mom's not her chipper self. She seems to be a little down. Why? I wonder. And I think we all know. Because it's not, she's not getting the fellowship that we need. The encouragement that we need. And so that is, that was, that is a, that's good for me. Because that means I need to step up my game. I need to do something about it. I need to try to do more to reach out to mom and encourage her and provide fellowship with safety, of course. Understand that. We need one another. and We need each other in the church. Just recently I heard that depression, anxiety, and even suicide has really climbed. Why is that? Because of less socialization. More um, uh, isolation. Not as much interaction with other people. And again, I understand we need to be careful and we need to strive to follow the, the mandates that are set before us. I understand that. But people, we can still do that and fellowship. We can still do that and encourage one another. We can still do that and be a brother and be a sister in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4. says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with all longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then it says, but unto everyone is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I want to skip down. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, 
which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Summarizing that, we're called to walk worthy. We're called to model the image of Christ in lowliness and meekness, long-suffering and forbearance. We're called to unity and peace because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We all have differing gifts. And what are they for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How can we do that if we don't have fellowship? We can't. But we can do it. And we can follow the guidelines. It is a very simple procedure. We can perfect the saints in the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. We currently have a 10-person limit. How many spaces do you have at your table? You can fill those spaces. And I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying we can do this. We're supposed to keep socially distanced. We can do that. And still encourage our brother and sister. We're encouraged to wear masks for the safety of the general population. We can do that and still encourage one another. But if we don't have fellowship, if we don't get together, if we don't commune, if we don't pray together, it's not going to happen. And so we have to put forth effort. These current restrictions limit our numbers and some other things, but it should not limit our commitment and our desire to fellowship and encourage one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which we, he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see a day approaching. Have any of you all been depressed in the last six, eight, nine months? I don't want to see your hands. It has worked on me. But we can assemble. We can fellowship. We can worship. And so my encouragement to us, be that model of Christ. Be reaching out in communion, in conversation, in whatever way possible that we can to encourage one another, communing with God, 
and communing with our fellow man, fellowshipping together to encourage one another. And let us worship in spirit and in truth. God bless you as we endeavor to glorify God.